friends, how are y'all? Now that we set that tone of introspection, everyone's like, I'm fine, Doug. I'm okay. I'm just feeling my emotions. Hey, if it's your first time with us, if we haven't met, my name is Doug. I'm the young adult pastor here and really glad you've chosen to join with us on this, the last week uh, of our sermon series on love, sex, and dating. And one of the things that we've been rolling with this season as a fellowship is this idea of being a banquet for the broken. And from time to time, I'll hold up this kind of cracked and chipped uh, little vase here that has some candles inside of it. And I, what I'll say to remind us is that instead of being the kind of people who try to paint over our brokenness, what we're trying to do at the table is to be people who lean into our brokenness, the fact that everybody is born broken. Everybody has bad days and bad weeks and bad months, and everybody has some part of them that doesn't exactly work right all the time. And rather than run from that, we embrace it. Because when we do, the light of Jesus that he puts inside of us, it shines through our cracks and becomes a means of us influencing the world around us. Thank you, lighting people. That was amazing. But one of the ways, you guys know, one of the ways that we display the light of Jesus in our brokenness is in the ways that we enter into, and in our case today, out of romantic relationships. And so far in this message series, what we've looked at uh, is this big idea here that when God created everybody, uh, he did not create marriage as the antidote to the problem of loneliness, We have lots of people and lots of friends who are lonely. Marriage is not the antidote to that. Community is the antidote to the problem of loneliness because we all know people who are married and they were lonely before they got married and guess what? Now they're lonely and married. You can be lonely and married at the same time. Community is God's antidote for moving away from loneliness. And as you guys may have remembered if you came the second week and third week, we kind of set up these four phases of how a person moves from loneliness into community right here. I mean, step one is you step from loneliness into one of these chairs. And if you guys can't see, it's a black chair right here like you guys are sitting in. You sit in a big room with a bunch of other people at a church type situation. And this is the first step of moving towards community, but still not community yet because you don't know anybody and you haven't talked to people and you may have sung some music around them, but you're just kind of still here. The first step into real community is when you leave the chair and you get to the couch Community begins on the couch because that's where negotiating and communication have to take place. You go to a, for us, a couch uh, represents a team or a group. So maybe you go to a home life group and you, ju- you walk into the situation and you remember you have to sit down on the couch and there may be someone there and you kind of have to, oh, I'm not sitting, I've got to sit over, right? And now you're interacting with people in a more intimate type setting. There's maybe 12 of you and you're having this conversation. And this is the beginning of community. But there's a deeper layer of community which is the kitchen counter. You get to the kitchen, grab a cup of coffee, across the counter from someone else, maybe it's just one-on-one, this is pretty intimate community. And we say that the the kitchen counter represents the, the world of dating that maybe some of you have gone into, where it's a little bit more intimate. It's not the couch, it's the counter. There's two of you, you're having conversations, you're looking eyeball to eyeball. There's no kind of social cover. See over here, there's social cover. If you don't know what to talk about, if you're like, oh, let's, don't call on me, don't call on me, like really. You have that, you sit next to that one talkative person in your small group, and you all know who you are in this room, right? And you're like, good, they'll always call on her because she'll talk, and I don't have to talk, right? You, there's, a, there's a little more covering here. When you're here, you're exposed. They look at you, and they say, how was your day? You're like, uh, 10. 
I don't, know, I don't know what the question was, right? There's no covering. You've got to interact here. And this is the world of dating. And for some of us, we move from this world into this world, the world of marriage, the world of the sink, where you have toothbrushes. And both of you brush your teeth and you spit into the sink and you look at each other and you go, I'd still marry you, right? You have them. Up. These are sink friends. These are toothbrush friends. And a couple weeks ago, we said, everybody can find a toothbrush friend in this world. Because your toothbrush friend might be your spouse or your toothbrush friend might be your roommate that you live with. Whether you ever get married or not, whether you're single all your life, everybody can find a toothbrush friend, the deepest layer of community. But in specifically romantic relationships, the toothbrush friend is your mate. And last week what we looked at was how you move from the counter to the sink with somebody how do you what do you look for to get engaged because some people in this room are here and you're looking over there and you're like oh my goodness we're gonna do this aren't we we're all we're gonna we're gonna be toothbrush friends aren't we we're we're doing this I'm buying a ring what's happening I just bought a ring it's in my closet oh my goodness there's a ring in my closet what are we doing and the girl's like I don't know where the ring is and it's I've been looking at the Amazon I stole his Amazon password and I'm looking at the tracking I know where it is right and then you get married and you're like oh my goodness we're married we're adults what's going on this is so crazy right Some of us are going to do that. But here's the question I want to address today. What happens when you're here with another person in a romantic relationship and you go, yeah, there's no way I'm going to the sink with this person. Like, nope, just not happening. Or what if you just go, I'm not sure if I want to go to the sink with this person. Or what if if you're here and you go, I don't, I don't know if I want to move from the couch to the counter with this person. What, what do we do with all of these uh, FAQs? You know what FAQs are, right? Right? Here's what it means. Fellas, ask her out quickly. That's what an FAQ is, <laughs> right? Every girl in here just, whether, whether phys- physically or not, just went, mm-hmm, yep, yep, that's it. Not, not on instant message, right? Yeah, you got to ask me out in person. Here we go. No, FAQ, frequently asked questions. These are the frequently asked questions we get relative to the four layers here of of community, okay? And here's what they are. The four, actually three, but looks like four questions I want to address here today. Number one, how do I know if she or he is not that into me? How do I know? Is there some kind of tell? Because we've been talking, and I think we're at the kitchen counter, but there was a third person, so maybe it was. I don't know what's going on, right? The other one is this. How do I know if I'm not that into him or her? You know, you have their friends, you're like, so, I saw you talking to such and such, like, uh, are y'all a thing? I, I don't know. Uh, how do you feel? I don't know. How, how does she feel? I don't know. I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't know anything. Is there something that can help us figure that out? That's kind of the first or first of two big questions. The next one's this. How do I break up in a godly way? I'm at the, I'm at the counter with this person, and I just get to this point where I go, internally, I'm out, right? Yeah, this, I can't move forward anymore. To quote John Mayer, how do I stop this train? Like, I just, I got to break up with them. Is there a godly way? Is there an ungodly way to break up? I don't want to do that. Can I, like, break up with them and then they get saved again? Like, what, how does that work? And I want to address that question. The last question is this. Can I prevent hurt and pain in dating? How do I possibly go about entering into this counter relationship with someone And maybe exiting it in a way where I minimize the amount of pain and hurt in my life. Those are the three to four big questions I want to answer today. And before we answer those, let me guys just give you a little like backstory 
with me in all of this. So I want you to know where I'm coming from emotionally. I'm trying to be vulnerable before everyone here today. Uh, and so let me just tell you my personal experience with this. As you guys may know, I did not grow up in a Christian family. And so dating for me was something that I understood you just did recreationally. And as a result, I dated like so many girls. Like in high school and middle school, so many girlfriends. And in college, I I had a little dating experiment thing that I did where I dated 22 girls in one semester while I was in college. Uh, And I'll, you know what, maybe we'll get on Instagram Live later and I'll tell you the whole story and maybe I'll put the dating application. I had a dating application. I had all the girls fill out before they went on a date with me. So maybe on Instagram Live, I'll I'll show you guys that and send you a PDF of that later on if you guys want to watch that at the Table Orlando. Anyway, so I had just a ton of experience with like this moving from the couch to the counter and back with a lot of people. And I remember, especially before I became a Christian, I remember thinking this way, and maybe this has been you at one time. I was dating a girl, and I had no intentions of ever being serious with her. Like she was good looking, and I was like, I want to get physical with this girl. My whole reason for dating her. Um, And some guys are in the room, you've been there. Some girls are in the room, you've been there, right? And I remember um, after us just kind of like messing around one night, thinking to myself as I'm, you know, and I think I'm like 14 or 15 at this point, right? Okay, so this is my 14 or 15-year-old brain at this point. I remember thinking to myself, I need to break up with this girl. But I've already gone this far, and there's no turning back now. So I guess we'll just keep making out for a while, and then maybe I'll graduate from high school, and we'll go to different colleges, and that'll be end, right? Like, I had no active way of thinking through this thing, and my suspicion is that many of you are here today with either very little experience dating, or you've had a lot of bad experience dating, and whether you have come from the no experience dating camp, or the bad experience dating camp, or maybe the third one, which is All my dating experience consists of me watching Netflix, right? Like, that's where I get my romantic world from. Uh, I I just want to try to bring some biblical perspective to this whole thing and help us navigate some of the pitfalls uh, as it relates to the hard parts, the conflicted parts uh, of dating, okay? My experience watching all of y'all has been this. Because you're a Christian, you want to avoid conflict, because Christians are nice, and they don't, they don't get involved in conflict. And so what happens when you start dating a Christian person is when it's time to break up, the Christian's like, I don't know what I, I want to break up with them, but that'll cause conflict, and maybe they'll turn from Jesus and become atheists, so I don't know if I can keep breaking up. And, I, and so I want to talk about breaking up, figuring this out, protecting yourself from pain and hurt and safeguarding your approach to dating. That's where I want to go today. I'm going to talk in a very whimsical way. I'm going to bring up just some helpful scripture I think will bear uh, on this subject. And before we do all this, let me just pray for me and let me pray for us as we think about this t- together collectively. So would you pray with me? Jesus, no matter where people are coming from in this room, my prayer today is that you would just help us to think well about this, but also to emotionally prepare ourselves and consider the ramifications of dating and that you would help us to avoid the pitfalls of pain, uh, unnecessary pain and unnecessary hurt that we can so easily enter into if we just follow the templates set forth from Netflix shows and Hulu shows and friends dating and all these other experiences. Jesus, would you be uh, the guidestone that we need as we think about dating? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, so let's jump in with question one. How do I know if she or he is not that into me? Conversely, how do I know if I'm not that into him or her? So we're going to read through a couple of different scriptures here. Uh, And this is not our preferred way to do things, but I'm trying to bring something to weigh into this. So the first verse I want to talk about here is going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 6. Uh, and it's not going to be on your screens, but I'm just going to, or maybe it is going to be on your screens, I'm not sure. Uh, but h- here's what Jesus is talking about. He is talking to the disciples, and he's teaching them how to do evangelism. And in general, he just says, listen, here's a strategy for going into a new town and trying to facilitate conversations about spiritual things. He says, if a man of peace is there in that town, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. This is Luke 10, 6. And, and here's basically what he's saying. He's saying, go into any town and just speak peace to people. Say, hi, how are you doing, right? And if someone looks at you and goes, hi, how are you doing, right? You know that maybe they want to engage you a little bit. Anybody grow up in a Catholic church here? Anybody grow up Catholic and proud of it or maybe not proud of it, but you want to hold your hand up anyway? Okay, right? So, I, again, I grew up non-Christian. I grew up atheist. And I remember the first time I went to a Catholic church, um, I'd been saved into a conservative Baptist church. And as you guys may know, in conservative Baptist churches, they have like the turn to your neighbor and say hi time, which every introvert in there is like, oh, no, right? Uh, but I'm an extrovert, so I'm like, cool, hey, what's up, buddy? High five, right? So that's my only concept of the interact with neighbor in a formal worship service kind of moment. So I'm at this Catholic church, my friend Matt's church, and the priest gets up and says, and now we will speak peace to one another. And then he does like a peace. And I was like, I don't know what that was, right? Like that was, that was the weirdest like hello neighbor kind of moment, but whatever. So this guy in front of me turns around and says, peace be with you. And I just like, like I'm, you know, in the 70s hanging out in Brooklyn. I'm like, what up, homie? Like, how are you today? Like, how's that life going? And he just like looks at me and I'm like, you having a good day, man? And he's like, uh, like he opens up his Catholic book and it's like, this is not in the peace script. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I, and, and so my friend who's Catholic pulls me aside, goes, no, no, no. When they say peace to you, you say peace to them. And I was like, peace for me is like, I'm out, peace. Like, am I leaving now? I don't know what's going on. But he's like, no, 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 when you speak peace, they speak peace back to you, and you're basically facilitating this kind of conversation liturgically that people have. And he's talking about this verse here. The the disciples would go into a new town where they didn't know anybody, and they would speak peace to these people. Hi, how are you? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And if someone was interested in spiritual conversations, they would just intuitively go, well, I want peace for you too. And they would go, okay, that was an indicator that they should have some kind of conversation about spiritual things. Jesus says this is the best way to do evangelism. You say hi to people, and if they say hi back to you, now you have a thing going, right? And the principle here for evangelism, I think, applies to dating, especially for those of us who are not really sure about the social cues and whether people like us. I think the idea here is, if you're trying to ask, are they into me, am I into them, I don't know, is this, hey, when you speak peace to them, do they speak peace back to you? Or maybe just think about this in terms of communication. When you talk to them, eyeball to eyeball, do they talk back to you? And maybe you can think about it like a tennis match or like a ping pong match, okay? You go, and they go, right? If a tennis game starts to happen in terms of your communication, that's probably an indication on some level that there's chemistry there, that it's worth 
exploring. Does that make sense? And so maybe, maybe you can think about it in, in these two ways. Uh, when you communicate, look for speed and frequency of communication. Speed and frequency. And here's what I mean by that. Um, how quickly is it going back and forth? Maybe you put it on the text thing. I don't, as a general rule, recommend that you just start texting with people all the time in, the, in a dating situation. You can't understand texting no matter how many GIFs or emojis you send. Like, it's just open to interpretation. And this is one of those things where, like, a girl sends a guy a text, like, hey, how are you today? And he's like, great, with an exclamation point. And she goes back with all her girlfriends. He said, great, exclamation point. Does that mean he's into me? Should I be looking at wedding dresses? What's happening, right? Like, and the guy was just like, I mean, literally, he, on his watch, he just saw great with an exclamation point as an option, and he hit it, and now he's riding with his buddies over here, and like, right? So, speed and frequency. If you send something to them, and they send something back in a pretty relatively quick time stamp, and you send something back, and they send something back, and you're now having a tennis match back and forth, and it's getting more complex in terms of the vocabulary. If, if you start off sending tweets and by the end of it you're sending novels back and forth, that's generally an indication that there's some chemistry level there and it's worth exploring the nature of this friendship. It might just be that it's friendship. Some guys really just like to text people and they don't know that they're texting girls and girls are reading into it. Some girls are just, they just really like to text people and you don't know if like they really mean that. But what you can understand is that there's a friendship there, and that friendship could blossom into something more. So my indication to you would just be, if there's speed and frequency of communication, if you're speaking peace and they're speaking peace back, then hey, explore the friendship. And who knows, you may have gained a friend, but it might become something more. That's how you can tell whether someone might be into you and whether you might be into them. Now, some of you might get to this point where you're like, we're having a tennis match back and forth, and I, I think we're friends, and we've hung out a couple times in groups, and I think, I think things are going well, but I'm, I'm still not sure if they're into me in that romantic way or if I'm into them in that romantic way. And so what do you do when you're there? And so uh, I thought of a second verse that may help us here, and this is in Proverbs 27. In fact, I think this one's going to be on your screen, Proverbs 27.6. And it says this, faithful, uh, the uh, Solomon's writing this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So obviously you should never kiss when you're dating. That's what this means. No. Um, I mean, maybe you should. I don't have a position on that that I want to talk about right now, but we'll talk about that later. Here's the thing. Friends, good friends, will be brutally honest with you. And any of you who have really good friends, you know this, because you go to your friends and you're like, what do you think about this? And they're like, listen, I love you, but that's a terrible idea. And if you do it, I'll punch you in the face. And you're like, okay. Wow, okay, that just escalated quickly, right? But friends love you enough to be directly honest with you. And sometimes if there's speed and frequency of communication between you and a young man or you and a young lady, and you're not sure how you feel or you're not sure how they feel, a good thing to do is to pull your friends around and say, and again, keep this at a limited number. This isn't like get on a text exchange with everybody in our ministry and be like, hey, I need you to pray for me. I think I like such and such. And I'm not sure if she likes me back. And you actually send it to her. And you're like, Haha, whoops, did I send it to you? Well, the cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> right? We, I guess we're on our way to the toothbrush. Here we go, right? No, this is not a strategy. Here's what I mean. Pull a close group of accountable friends around and say, I'm not sure how I feel. Can you guys give me some feedback? Because your friends can see your blind spots, and they know you. And they know when you like something. They, they know your tells. Uh, they know when you're happy. 
because they can read you in a way you can't read yourself. Um, your friends can read your blind spots. They can also, uh, in, a, in a good way, they can probably get some decent recon on the other person. We're pretty well connected here, so they can call some people and they can kind of get, they can read the tea leaves. They can, they can figure things out and be like, either, yeah, I think, I think you may have a shot there or um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. She has a boyfriend, um, so I think... <laughs> I think, I think maybe she's just a friend, friends with you. And so let me, let me illustrate this, this here. This is where I think a lot of us are when it comes to this. And what I'm trying to admit here or just talk about is the fact that for many of us, it's difficult for us to read our own emotions uh, and our own feelings and things where it, it can be kind of foggy. Um, uh, when I was in grad school, the, the final project of a PhD program is you have to write a dissertation, which is like a 200-page book. That you, it's an original contribution to the academic community. And so that was what I had to do. And so in the summer of 2011, I sat down in my dining room and just cranked out the 200 and some odd pages of my book. Uh, and I sent it off to my professor of record who was reading it and giving me feedback. And he, I remember he sent it back to me in like a week, and it was this red ink all over it. Like, there are these typos, and there are these footnote problems, and these editing problems, and your argument wasn't great here, and da, da, da. And so I went and tried to correct all of those, and I sent it back off to him, and he sent it back to me, and there was red ink everywhere. Like, you still have these typos, and you still have this, and you made up this word, and right? <laughs> right, there are all those things. And I remember sitting there with my wife going, I thought this thing was perfect when I sent it off. Like, I, I can't believe there are all these typos. Like, you guys know this. If you've ever been writing something, you can't see anything imperfect with it because it's your baby and you're like, it's perfect the way it is. Why did they give me a C? What, what, what happened, right? It, you just, you can't see outside yourself. You have all these blind spots. So my professor recommended that I hire a copywriter or a copy editor. And so I sent a, this manuscript off to a copy editor. And within like 24 hours, she fixed everything. And I was like, how did you do this so quickly? She goes, well, I'm not as closely attached to this, so I can bring an objective perspective on this, and it just, everything just jumps out at me, and I can see every little thing. And so she fixed it, and I sent it off to my professor, and he was like, this is perfect. Man, you're amazing. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm amazing. <laughs> just really got it in gear over the last week there, uh, Dr. Sweeney. Yeah, anyway. So this is the way that I think many of us are when it comes to our emotional relationships. We are so close to ourselves in the mirror, we can't see any of our blind spots. And what friends do is they come along, and because they're not us, they can see where we're out of line or what we don't feel or what we don't understand almost instinctively. So if you can work on um, being aware of speaking peace and having them speak back to you, and if you can have some friends around you who are closer than a brother, closer than a sister, who will speak honestly with you, I think with those two things, you can pretty much get as close as possible to understanding both if they're into you, but also if you're into them. And that's question one. Now, here's question two. How do I break up in a godly way? How in the world do you go about this? I'm in, so here's the context. You're in this relationship. You're at the counter. And you're having coffee, and maybe first date goes well, and you're like, okay, I could, I could see this going someplace. And you get to second date, and you're like, okay, I could see this being okay for a while. And then you get to third date, and you're like, oh, I'm out, right? It's just like uh, something about it, just you're walking through the three C's. Okay, we have chemistry, but there's some character issues. 
Or we have, there's no character issues, but we have some chemistry issues. Or the chemistry and the character is great, but I just think this person's just in a different league than I am. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to hang with them. Whatever's going on, you just, you're aware that something's off. And you know it's time to just kind of bow out. So, so how do you go about doing that? Is there anything the Bible says to us to help shape the way we might do that? And here's the verse I want to bring up, and it's James 4, 17. And you can find this in the English Standard Version. Here's what James writes. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, it is sin. Yeah. That just kind of puts it out there, doesn't it? Keep in mind, this is the brother of Jesus. So he doesn't play around. He's like, listen, let me define what sin is. This is the right thing to do. You see it, and you go, I'm going to go the other way. I think oftentimes we look at sin as like this thing we're not supposed to do, and we just focus on it. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Focus on what the right thing to do is. What is the best possible decision in any given moment? Do that. And if you take your eyes off of that, that's when sin starts to take place. And here's how this principle gets applied in a dating relationship. I'm with this person. I know this is not a good thing either for right now or for long term. But I don't want to be lonely on Friday night and all my friends have girlfriend, boyfriends on Facebook. And uh, I just, I don't know, man. Maybe if, I, maybe if we just go another six years, maybe something will turn on. Or I don't want to have to tell my mom that I broke up with another person. Or I don't have to tell my dad I broke up with another person. But what will that say about me that I've broken up with this person again? And so we come up with all of these very good excuses. And we're using the excuses as this external thing to keep us in the relationship. When deep down what we know is we shouldn't be together in a romantic way. And what I think James would say to us here is, listen, at the moment that you know that you're, there's no more future with you guys, it's time to break it up, okay? And the most loving thing that you could do with somebody who's a friend who maybe you've been on the couch with and you've moved towards the counter, the most loving thing you can do is just tell them uh, what you think is your decision in this particular relationship as soon as you can articulate it. And maybe for you, you think this is the thing, so you filter it through your friends and your Christian community. I'm feeling this way. What do you guys think? And they say, we agree. You've covered all your blind spots. This sounds great. And now it's time for you to go and have that conversation. So here's the principle I want to give you based off of James 4. It's from our uh, uh, senior associate pastor, Danny DeArmas. He says this all the time. If you must do it eventually, you might as well do it immediately. If you must do it eventually, you might as well do it immediately. In other words, this is a call to avoid procrastination, which is what I think a lot of us can get in the habit of doing. Again, we like the idea that we're dating somebody. We like the idea that it's very public. We like the idea of people thinking of us as someone who's dating somebody. We like the idea of our mom not calling us all the time, going, when are you going to date people, right? We're thinking about having to go at Thanksgiving and people going, so are you dating anyone? And for the first time in a while, you can go, yes, I am. And then they can move to your other single cousin who isn't dating anybody, right? We like all these things. The one thing we don't like is the person we're dating. And we're going, well, what if I just keep saying, let's go on a date next week? Like, we don't actually go on dates. Let me just put this off. Let me just watch Netflix. Let me just power down. Let me just crawl into a cave. Let me just not talk for a while. Let me become a missing person on a milk carton. Let me do anything other than have to have this conversation. And I think what James is saying, again, the most loving thing you can do is have that conversation and do it as, as soon as you know you need to do it. If you know you need to do something eventually, you might as well do it immediately. And so, 
I want to give you guys just two practical uh, pieces of advice for if you have to have this conversation. Here's what it is. Do it personally and do it publicly. Do it in person and do it in public. Okay? Uh, what I don't recommend is you go, I mean, again, this just makes it so difficult. You're like, hey, uh, there's this abandoned farm uh, just outside of Tampa. Do you want to drive there for three hours and um, then get out and have a really serious conversation? Like, that's the worst thing in the world. And I know some of you are looking at me like, why would anyone ever do this? Like, this sounds crazy. But I think sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know. And because we're so passive about things, because we're Christians, we just wait until we're all alone with this person and no one else is around. And then we get nervous and we're like, uh, and we're so nervous about having that conversation by ourselves that we just don't have that conversation. And then we end up dating someone for eight months longer than we should have dated them. Um, and maybe you haven't been there, but as someone who's done that several times, let me just tell you, do it in person and do it in public. So find a neutral third space, a coffee shop, preferably one you want to go to again with no like PTSD memories about a breakup. So maybe pick the coffee shop you hate and go there, right? So you're just like good riddance and you burn the place on the way out, right? I don't know. Um, but pick a third location and here's what I recommend. Have them meet you there. Because you don't want to pick them up, drive them to the coffee shop, have a bad conversation and go, man, this is awkward. Well, let's go. And then have to drive them home, okay? So meet there. If you don't have a car, uh, get on links and, and just find some place on the public transit route and kind of do that thing. Or Uber there. Just trust me. Do it in public. Uh, do it in person. This is not a text message thing. Guys, this is not a text message thing. This is not a DM on Instagram thing. This is not a Facebook Messenger thing. This is not a note you pass to them through a third party, okay? You, don't, you know that guy who writes in the sky around Disney who writes love? Don't hire him and break up with them that way, okay? Do, this, is, this is, do it in person. And here, listen, <clears throat> here's why I say this. I heard a story this week of a guy who told his wife he wanted a divorce by text message. Yes. And they have kids. This is like a 40-year-old dude. And I know you guys are like, why would someone do that? I feel the same way when y'all ask each other out or talk or try to hook up over like uh, instant message, right? I'm just like, but listen, do it in person. Why? Because this, this, is, a, this is hopefully a Christian brother or sister. Um, they're made in the image of God. They matter. They matter enough for you to be public and look them across the table, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, do it in public and do it in person. And I recommend leading with it. It's your first question. You sit down and you go, I need to bow out of this relationship. Here's one or two reasons. I recognize this may come as a shock, but I just don't think I'm willing to go much further. I mean, honestly, this is a three to five minute conversation and that's okay. So Maybe you don't order Starbucks. You just sit down, right? And you just have the conversation and go, if you want Starbucks, then now's your time. And then you leave, right? Or whatever. But seriously, I think you say it right up front. Because if you don't, it's just like, hey, how are you? I'm having a great day. Oh. How about you? I'm not having a great day. And I feel like your day might take a turn for worse here. Like in a little bit, right? Okay. First thing, Okay. The, rever the inverse of this is true. If you want to ask a girl out, this is the way I think you ask a girl out, in person and in public. Okay? Uh, you meet in a public space. 
What, what, wait, what was that? <laughs> oh. Shout out tech guys. Thank you. Appreciate you, Dan. Yeah, you sit down, look eyeball to eyeball. Not over text, not over Instagram, right? Hey, I would like to take you out for coffee and explore dating with you. Are you up for that? She says yes, no. You go, okay, cool, right? Uh, and you say it first thing. Here are the reasons why. This is what I want to do. But when you break up, in person, in public, first thing, just declare your intentions. Now, they may want to sit and they may want like 40 reasons why. And you give them the first three and they're like, is that all? Like, is there more? Like, I just feel like you haven't thought this through. Once you declare you're ready to be done, you have no obligation to stick around. You've told them what you want to do. You've thrown a catchable pass to them. If they're having trouble receiving it, you just say, listen, I understand you may have trouble receiving all this and talking about this. You know, I think you have Christian community. It'd be a great thing for you to talk, talk to them about. At this point, I'm going to go. And you get up, and you grab your keys, and you walk out the door, and you get in your car, and you drive away. And that's really okay, Christians, okay? It's really okay for you to have that conversation. It's not mean. It's not evil. It's the most loving thing you can do. You tell them, and then you walk away. And now y'all are broken up. And now you're living your life, and they're living their life. And that's the way it's done. That's number two. Number three. So, in light of this, how can I prevent hurt and pain and dating? Because, Doug, uh, what you just talked to me about, it was like I just watched uh, a World War II documentary. Like, you guys are just like, was that the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan? Like, that was just so intense. I can't believe you would do that. Uh, I'll say this. If you are into the Enneagram, every Enneatype 8 was just like, that makes sense, right? <laughs> and every Enneatype 9 is like, oh, like they all left and went to the bathroom right now because of the conflict. But hey, listen, um, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be trivial. I'm trying to tell you and give you guys permission uh, to be honest and open in your communication. And I think being honest and open in your communication is one of the ways that you can help prevent pain and hurt in dating. But to talk about this more, I'm going to flesh this out with uh, two passages. And I want to talk about this in terms of think about it like this. There's, there's kind of this protective layer that you can put around your heart, your emotions, uh, as you're entering the dating. And I think there's two verses that kind of explain some of this. So verse 1 is this, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love this passage because when Jesus is talking, uh, he's just taught that, hey, don't worry about what you'll wear and don't worry about what you'll eat because God provides flowers in the fields and they're covered and he provides uh, seed to the birds and they eat. God seems to take care of everything that everyone has, every real need that people have, God seems to take care of. So don't worry about some of those things. If you can worry about something, don't worry about this. Just seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Jesus first. And all these other things are secondary. They'll take care of themselves. Make Jesus your priority. Make Jesus your treasure. Everything else will be taken care of in turn and time. And the first principle here, the layer here I would recommend, the first protective layer is this. If you have Jesus, or if I have Jesus, I have all I need. When you're entering into to dating, like you see somebody and you're deciding you're going to go to coffee, before you ever show up to the coffee, before you ever show up and start dating, this is a good thing to remember. If I have Jesus, I have everything I need. Meaning if this date doesn't go well, if we break up, if he breaks up with me, if I have to break up with him or her, um, if I have Jesus and I break up with someone, I have all I need. Okay? My 
My worth, my affirmation, my sense of person is not riding on whether this dating experience moves towards marriage and a, and a happy conclusion in my estimation. Okay? I have Jesus, so no matter what happens here, it takes all the pressure off. The first protective layer is to just, before you ever show up at the date, make sure if you, you can say this with some sense of honesty. If I have Jesus, I have all I need. And that takes all the pressure off of this, which is why you can break up with this person in a godly way. Because if they have Jesus, they're going to be able to get through the breakup. And if you have Jesus, you're going to be able to get through the breakup. And it's not going to destroy your world to go to Thanksgiving to have someone go, are you dating anybody? And you're like, no, I'm not. Oh, why not? And you go, because I have Jesus and I have all that I need. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Right? It's true. Hey, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. God will take care of all that stuff. I'm serving him today. I'm good. Right? That's what you need to say at the Thanksgiving deal. Not, you don't need to force yourself into a relationship. So that's the first protective layer. Here's the second one. It comes from, again, in Mark, just a few chapters later in Mark 8. Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man or a woman give in return for his soul? Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus seems, seems to demonstrate this amazing capacity to at the same time be high invitation and high challenge. Um, Jesus invites people to come with them. Hey, if anyone would follow after me, anyone, literally anyone, if you want to follow after me, come on, come on, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, follow me. Hey, you want to follow me over here? Come on. You want to follow me? I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me, come on. Right, he's quoting the Backstreet Boys. He's having his moment. He has everybody, invites everybody to follow him. Incredibly invitational. But he doesn't just stop there and go, come with me, cool, we have a crowd. He's also high challenge. He says, if you're going to follow me, here's what it's going to be like to be in my crew. You're going to take up your cross, and it's going to be heavy, and it's going to weigh on your shoulders, and we're going to carry it everywhere that we go. This is the first ever CrossFit, right? No, that was a bad joke, <laughs> right? Uh, you're going to take up your cross. You're going to follow after me. That's going to be burdensome, but don't worry. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Uh, we're going to work. He challenges us. He he. He invites us to come as we are, but he challenges us to not stay where we are. And so this process of following Jesus is always highly invitational and highly challenging. And it teaches us something about uh, the way that God works and the way that godly love works. And it's on your screen. Godly love is high invitation and high challenge. But challenge calls for change, which can be painful. Challenge always calls for change. Godly love always calls us to change. And change is incredibly painful. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But you cannot love someone and not change their life. Because love has with it built in this implicit challenge. And that challenge uh, uh, calls people to change. And that change is always painful. It always responds uh, with an emotion. Now, you, some of you know this because, you know, you've seen this in your parents or whatever, Right? Uh, you look at pictures of your parents and like your mom is a 10 uh, and your dad is like a 4 and you go, what happened? Like, was there a bar situation? Was someone drunk? Were you in Vegas? Did, 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 is this what happened? Like, how did, mom and dad, how did this happen? And they pull out, see, parents still have the 
the photo books. You guys have seen this moment, right? They pull out the old thing with the pictures, and they're like, here's where we were when you're younger, and your mom's a 10, and your dad's a 10, and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, oh, look at those abs. Mom, I understand, right? Right, you understand now, and you look, and you go, okay, man. You're like, what, what happened? How did dad become a four? And mom says, we had kids. And you're like, well, you're still a smoking 10. How is he a four? And mom says, dad didn't sleep. I was having kids. Dad didn't sleep. He went to work. He changed diapers. Uh, he mowed the lawn. He cooked the food. He made sure we had money. He made sure we had a car. He made sure we had car insurance. Every time there's a hurricane, he bought a generator. He took care of us. And so for the last 20, 30 years, your dad has just been working like a dog. All his hair fell off. Uh, his, you know, six-pack turned into a keg. Like that whole situation <laughs> happened, right? Uh, just over time that happened and you go like, man, that dad, that just, there's just all this change. Like what happened? He's like, well, I loved you. And so I was going to do whatever I needed to do to make sure that you guys were okay. I loved you and uh, change happened, but it was worth it. It was painful, but it was worth it because I loved you. And anyone who's ever been loved or anyone who's ever loved before knows that love brings with it a challenge and that challenge brings with it uh, change and change is incredibly painful. And so the second thing I want us to wrap or encourage you to wrap around your heart is this idea. If you're ever going to try to love somebody in friendship or in romantic relationships, understand you're, you're probably going to have a godly love which is modeled after Jesus. That's highly invitational and highly challenging. You love your friends too much to allow them to become brats. And when you see your friends becoming brats, you lovingly call them out. And they either meet that challenge or they don't. And the more they don't meet that challenge, they leave your friend group. And the more that they meet that challenge, the more they stay in your friend group. Well, guess what? The same dynamic applies here in dating. You begin to love somebody. And if, if they don't meet the challenge of that love, you remove yourself from that dating relationship. But if they do meet the challenge of that love, they change, and that change is painful, and it brings up emotions, but you love them through all of that, and if you love them through that enough times, you get to a point where you realize, hey, I want to brush my teeth around you until I'm old and we both die, which is the most loving thing you can ever say to anybody. It's like, listen, I bought a ring and two cemetery plots. Let's go, right? Because this is for life, Right? Fellas, can I recommend that as a proposal thing? You're like, listen, here are two seminary plots, right, for you. This is for life, okay? Seriously. No, but that's it. Love is going to bring with it an implicit challenge. And anyone who's ever dated, listen, you guys know this. Because you follow Jesus a little more closely than he does, and you have to call him out on stuff, and he steps up to meet that because of who Jesus is, and then he starts following Jesus a little more, and you fall behind a little bit, and he calls you out on stuff, and you step up, and you realize, I want to do this kind of thing for the rest of our life. And she says, okay, and then you get married, and then you're at the sink brushing your teeth with one another, and then you bring kids into the mix, and guess what? You love your kids, and this whole dynamic starts over again. You love them. You challenge them to live better they step up to the challenge it's painful but everyone changes and everyone grows growth spiritual growth following Jesus is an incredibly painful process because it requires us to change who we are today to be someone different tomorrow and the thing that drives all of that is love and so if you're someone who's here today and you want to avoid 
pain, and hurt all together, my recommendation is don't step into any relationship with anyone else ever. But if you do that, you may not have a lot of pain and you may not have a lot of uh, hurt, but you're going to be isolated. And so the decision to step into community is implicitly a decision to step into love and pain and change. But it's a good kind that if you'll let it have its way, Jesus will do something in you that you could never imagine. Maybe he moves you into a group or a team and you have this squad that's around you and they hold you accountable. You live this wonderful life. And maybe you stay there or maybe you move over here and you find a roommate or a friend or someone you can just be tight buddies with or maybe you find someone you can date and maybe y'all move in together or maybe you get married. But either way, this whole thing of community, it's this beautiful process whereby you discover the breakthrough of spiritual growth for God's glory and for your good and because you're letting Jesus live in your brokenness, you become an influence maker and a difference maker in the city of Orlando for the glory of God and for the good of the city. Let's pray.